Petre ke Pavle tu lohuarotires, Andrea Iacove Greetings, everyone. This is Father Andreas Hupos. And this is Father Nectarios Carantonis. We welcome you to the Holy Apostles podcast, brought to you by the Adult Religious Education Ministry here at St. Nectarios Greek Orthodox Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're joining us today for the final episode of our Holy Apostles podcast. If you've been listening along from the beginning, you'll remember that we structured the series in such a way as to have this final episode coincide with the Feast of the Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, on June 29th. Over the past several weeks, we've covered 11 of the 13 main apostles, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, James and John, sons of Zebedee, Matthew and James, sons of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Thaddeus, Thomas and Matthias. The Feast of Saints Peter and Paul is preceded by a fasting period known as the Apostles' Fast. The Apostles' Fast begins on the Monday after All Saints' Sunday and ends on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. The length of this fast depends on the date of Pascha, since the date of Pascha is movable while the date of the Apostles' Feast is fixed. Some years, the fast can last weeks. In some years, it never has a chance to take place. This year, it lasted a single day. The day after the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul is dedicated to the Holy Twelve Apostles. Now that we've arrived at the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, let's take a look at the lives of these two holy and significant men of God. We'll begin with Saint Peter, as he is among the first of the apostles, chronologically, but also first in terms of status or rank. Then we'll look at Saint Paul, as he was added to the ranks of the apostles later, and under unique circumstances. Now, throughout our series, we've had to confront the fact that most of the apostles are known by more than one name. Perhaps most notably of these is Peter, for he received his new name from Jesus himself. Peter's given name from birth was Simon, or Simeon, as indicated elsewhere. And he was the son of a man named John, or Jonah. And his brother was Andrew, the first called apostle, whom we met in our first episode. It is St. Andrew who first reported to Simon about Jesus. But Simon quickly became preeminent among Jesus' disciples. The name Peter, literally the rock, was given to Peter by Jesus in an exchange found in the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples 
to tell no one that he was the Christ. This appellation of the rock for Simon to some has indicated his rough and ready personality. The deeper meaning has been attributed to his faith and the apostolic faith in general, upon which the church is indeed founded. The name is fitting in both senses. Simon Peter is seen in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts and elsewhere as an eager and energetic person, and some might even say impulsive. His dedication to Christ is unto death, but he also shows human frailty. Peter's impulsiveness or intensity might be seen in various ways. His brother, Andrew, a quiet student of John the Baptist, announces the revelation of the Messiah to Peter, and Peter follows immediately. When Jesus intended to wash the feet of his disciples, Peter refused indignantly. When Jesus said this would mean they would have no part with him, Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. When Jesus was arrested, it is Peter who cuts off the ear of one of the arresting party and then is admonished by Jesus as he heals that individual. He then famously denied Christ three times, only to be restored by repentance later. When Peter saw the risen Lord on the shore, he put on his clothes and then jumped in the water to swim to him. When Jesus tells him to follow him, Peter sees the younger John and says, What about him? And is again admonished by Jesus, What is that to you? Peter's traits might paint him as a sort of intense but unbridled personality. However, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, these traits are perfected in him, and it is Peter who immediately goes out to preach boldly, resulting in thousands being added to the church. This was just the first step in his dynamic and powerful apostolic ministry. There is much that we can say about the Apostle Peter, because unlike most of the other apostles, there is much recorded of him in the Gospels, as well as in the Book of Acts, other epistles of the New Testament, and there are two epistles attributed to Peter as well. The abundant scriptural witness lends itself to more historical accounts from early church historians, as well as more in the accounts of Peter's life that have been preserved by the church. We would be hard-pressed to include a detailed account of his life here, but we can point out a couple of notable things. With regard to his apostolic mission in particular, Peter had a role of preeminence in the church and among the other apostles. One thing that is important to remember in this is the meaning of the word apostle, that is, one who is sent out, sent on a mission. Peter had a mobile ministry. He didn't stay in one place. James, the brother of God, whom we have mentioned in previous episodes, is counted as an apostle in the more general sense, but we know that he essentially stayed put, serving as the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem. While St. James was overseeing the church from Jerusalem, Peter was spreading out the word beyond that region. One of the first matters the church had to decide on in council stemmed from this apostolic ministry. Namely, Peter had begun to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, that is, non-Israelite nations. This caused great consternation among many in the church, who held that the Jewish law and customs must be observed by those converting to Christ. 
We'll meet back at this point a little later in our look at St. Paul. Yes, this is a good place to pause, switch gears, and to spend a little time with our final apostle, Paul. Like the apostle Peter, Paul preached to his fellow Jews, both in Jerusalem and in the diaspora, in places like Cyprus and Thessaloniki in Greece. And also like Peter, Paul took the gospel to the Gentiles. The two together were taking the first steps in the spirit of Christ's great commission to go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. But who is Paul? And how did he come to be involved in this holy work? We know from the book of Acts and from Paul's own writings, 14 epistles included in the New Testament, that Paul was originally named Saul. He was a devout Pharisee and studied under one of the great Jewish teachers of his age. By his own admission, and as witnessed in the New Testament itself, Saul was a persecutor of the early Christians and, notably, was present at the trial and stoning of Stephen the deacon and first martyr of the church. At some point on a journey to Damascus with the intent of rooting out Christians, Saul experienced a blinding vision and heard a voice. When Saul asked who it was, the speaker identified himself as Jesus, whom Saul was persecuting. Saul was struck blind and had to be led by hand the rest of the way. Upon his recovery, he was baptized by a Christian in Damascus named Ananias and immediately began to preach about Jesus as the Son of God. Saul, who was also called Paul, while he immediately began to confess about his encounter with Christ, tells us himself that he did not simply then start teaching and preaching as an apostle. Let's listen to what he says in his own words about how he received and solidified his conversion and apostleship as related in the first and the beginning of the second chapter of his letter to the Galatians. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia, and I again returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still not known by sight to the churches of Christ in Judea. They only heard it said, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. 
and they glorified God because of me. Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up by revelation, and I laid before them, but privately before those who were of repute, the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, lest somehow I should be running, or had run, in vain. It is after this narrative that St. Paul also narrates his meeting with the church in Jerusalem, the one where we left off earlier, telling his readers that he even confronted and rebuked Peter openly for being one way with Gentiles while with them, and another way with the Jews while with them. Between St. Paul's account and that which is recorded in the book of Acts, it seems that once again Peter was shown to be intense in multiple directions, but once again ultimately convinced and convicted in the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to all nations. This first council of the church there in Jerusalem, recorded for us in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, shows us another important and dynamic stage in the formation and rapid growth of the fledgling church. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was entrusted to the oversight of the local church based in Jerusalem. Peter, who had been with Jesus from the beginning, was coming into his own as an apostle by way of the Holy Spirit and was realizing the universal implications of Jesus' gospel. Paul, who had persecuted Jesus' church, was converted and became a zealous advocate of the gospel to all people and while rehabilitating his reputation, brought the boldness of the gospel to new light for those who had not yet realized that the gospel would indeed be spreading to all nations. After the inspired deliberations of that first council, a sure path was set for the church and its missionary work was reinforced by both the arguments and testimonies of Peter and Paul and the paternal pronouncement in the Holy Spirit of James. This would go on to serve as the model for governance of the church, which since that time has been a conciliar body. Both Peter and Paul would continue on to their respective apostolic travels throughout and around the Mediterranean basin. The tradition of the church tells us that they both ended up in Rome for their final days. We know explicitly from the book of Acts of Paul's journey to and arrival at Rome, where he seems to have lived peacefully at least for two years, teaching the gospel to those there quite openly and unhindered, as St. Luke puts it. However, in the broader traditional account of St. Paul's life, this teaching eventually drew the wrath of the Emperor Nero, since, we, since he had taught the gospel to some of his concubines and led them to a life of chastity instead. St. Peter was also apparently living in Rome at this time, and was also apprehended for the same crime of converting some of Nero's concubines. Now, this could appear to be a conflation of the tradition surrounding St. Paul, or it could simply be the same set of circumstances. In any case, it did not end well, ending in Peter's apprehension. This offense against the emperor was punishable by death. Both St. Peter and St. Paul were taken captive and tried, and put to death for their crime against the state. Since Paul was a Roman citizen, something he himself proclaimed and used to his advantage when he could to advance the gospel, he was beheaded, 
a death that was considered noble. Peter, on the other hand, being a Jew, was put to death in humiliation, being crucified. He himself is said to have demanded to be crucified upside down. As the traditional account has it, he said, I am not worthy to be crucified as my Christ upright. For thus he was crucified, so as to look to the earth, where he would descend into Hades to deliver the souls therein. Crucify me head down, that I may look to heaven where I shall go. Some early church personalities and historians say that Saints Peter and Paul were executed at the same time, though not necessarily together. Others say it was on the same day, June 29th, but a year apart. In any case, this is the date handed down to us in the tradition of the Church, and is the reason we celebrate their memory today. In the persons of Saints Peter and Paul, we see the Gospel at work and full of dynamism, bursting at the seams of the Church to find its way into the hearts and minds of all humanity. With the boldness and energy of both Peter and Paul, were this left to merely human strength and activity, failure would have been imminent, and we might not be sitting here talking today and memorializing these great men. Indeed, it is the Holy Spirit who, proceeding from the Father and having been sent by his Son, Jesus Christ, to the Church, led the likes of Peter and Paul and the rest of the Church and those being added to it into all truth, as Jesus himself had foretold and promised. In the Gospel according to John, he relates Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit coming in this way. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. It was the Holy Spirit that guided both the human strengths and weaknesses of Peter and Paul to superhuman heights of holiness and fostered the spirit of unity and wholeness to the church, both then and now, in a manner that surpasses the abilities of humankind. In the figures of Saints Peter and Paul in particular, and of the apostles more broadly, we are given the prototype and perpetual model of the church. It is through them and their direct and distant successors that the gospel has been perpetuated through time and into all the world, as Jesus had first commanded, a work that all of us who find ourselves members of this church are still contributing to today. So Father, we've reached the end of our series here uh, with this episode on Saints uh, Peter and Paul. And one of the things that I realized while preparing our notes for this episode was that were we to treat them with any kind of justice, um, this episode would have been very long uh, because there is so much more that we have at our hands with regard to both of them than any of the other disciples and apostles, rather, that uh, you know, the previous episodes suffice to give us a general idea of who these men are, uh, but really we could spend so much time on, on both uh, St. Peter and St. Paul. So we really had to compress our thoughts and our perspective uh, on their, their life and ministry into this um, shorter time frame. So I hope our, our, hope our listeners don't, uh, aren't disappointed by that, 
but uh, were we to do them justice, this would have to be several episodes long, longer than it has been. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, these two figures alone, I mean, look at St. Paul. Literally every liturgy we have, we hear from St. Paul in the epistle reading. Um, you know, we can say so much just about the writings of these figures um, and how important they are. And, you know, Peter being the rock, <laughs> such a proper name for him. Um, you know, being the rock of the church, being the anchor of the church. And we talked about in our first episode with, mm. with Andrew, kind of Andrew being the beginning, the, the first called, mm-hmm. uh, and Peter kind of leading things to the end and, and uh, the end of Christ's ministry and on earth and into the, the Great Commission and spreading the gospel throughout the world. Um, so, yeah, we we certainly could speak for hours and hours about these two figures. And there's just so much out there with, you know, we had episodes where we didn't have a lot of things to talk about certain figures. And um, I I wouldn't say that we would have had that struggle with this episode, but, you know, for our purposes here, we were trying to give our listeners and our faithful here at St. Nectarios, just kind of a broad uh, introduction to these people. If they didn't know any, anything about them historically and, you know, certainly with the doctrine of the church, these two figures are, are pretty important to us. Indeed. And I think one of the reasons that they are so important to us, at least that stood out to me in, in preparing for this particular episode, is this idea that, that came out in, in, in that preparation of the human frailty of both of these men now they certainly they certainly both were gifted with uh, certain traits that obviously were implemented by the Lord for to the glory of God and the proclamation of His gospel. Peter, uh, to use that expression we used earlier, being sort of rough and ready, and always ready to jump into the fray of things, whether you know <laughs> um, the, you know the account of where they're they're on this boat after the resurrection. They're fishing, they and uh, they've been fishing, and they see Jesus on the on the shore. And when he realizes that it's him, you know, he's stripped for work, you know, so he's he's got his main garment off, and he's probably sweating and just and everything. But it says that he put his clothes on, and then jumped into the water, uh, just dove out of the boat and swam to shore because he couldn't wait. Uh, or whether it's you know when Christ is being apprehended by the mob. You know, um, it's Peter who who rushes in and and sort of shoots first and asks, asks questions later. Uh, and he he just has this 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 readiness to move and act. And um, and then you have someone like Paul who, let's say, is maybe a little more refined. You know, he's well educated. He's not a he's not a simple fisherman. He has more of an artisan's uh, craft. He's a leather worker, a tent maker, um, and he's he's obviously good with his rhetoric. He has this gift of sort of meeting people where they are and speaking to them in their own language, like we see when he goes to Athens. Um, so somebody who's maybe a little more refined, but 
who is also at the same time very zealous. Uh, we see this initially in his persecution of the church, um, but then once he's been converted by Christ, he then employs that to the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. And he and and with regard to these sort of strengths that also end up being weaknesses in human terms, in Christ and in and in the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's like St. Paul says in one of his letters, he says that, you know, when he, he had this problem, he calls a thorn in the flesh, and he sought Christ about it three times to be relieved of this, and, and the answer was, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And that, uh, that, that strength of God is made perfect in weakness. Really see that in, in the, peop- the persons of St. Paul and St. Peter, who, if left to their own devices, might be driving people away at some point, building walls, um, uh, and maybe even coming unhinged. But submitting to Christ and being infused with the Holy Spirit, look what they did for the for the church and for the world. I like what you said there, Father, with in regard to you know if they didn't have the Holy Spirit, they may, you said, become unhinged. You know, I was calling to mind different instances of, of these two men in the Gospels. And of course, one of the things that I'm sure our listeners think of too when they think of St. Peter is is that scene uh, of walking on the water. Hmm. And it speaks directly to what you just said. Um, you know, Peter is, Christ takes Peter's hand and brings him out on the water and he's doing fine. But then all of a sudden, some waves start to crash around him and he starts to lose his faith for a minute and he starts to sink and he calls out to the Lord who ultimately, you know, kind of calms in, calms him down and keeps holds him firmly. Um, and it kind of speaks to his character. You know, we were talking about how he's kind of impulsive and just kind of ready to go. And, you know, when, when you were talking about uh, the other scene where he sees Jesus on the shore and he, it's one of my favorite gospel readings because it says that he sprang into the sea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like he he jumped into the mm-hmm. sea. He sprang into the sea, which is a very descriptive word saying that he was, you know, excited, that he was that he he would do anything to go to his Lord. Um, so, you know, I think of those two instances uh, with the character of Peter and and, you know, with the Holy Spirit. You know, Christ can take these these fishermen and make them fishers of men, like he said. Um, make, take these kind of rough and tumble guys, uh, these these tradesmen, and you know whoever they were, and and it speaks more to Christ what Christ can do and what God can do with anyone, um, with any sinner, with any you know with even the worst of people. Their hearts can be changed, and and they can become um, they can become evangelists, and they can become uh, apostles. Yeah, and and you know, and that's that's the other thing is that when we when we recognize that about these great you know luminaries, Peter and Paul, the holy apostles, we can apply this to any any one of us, you know, to ourselves, and um, we might think, you know, yesterday we're recording on Monday, uh, in preparation for this being published on Tuesday, the Feast of the Holy Apostles this year falls on a Tuesday. Uh, But yesterday, Sunday, was the Feast of All Saints. And um, 
when we look at the, 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 just all of the saints that we know about in the life of the church, we have people from all walks of life. We have people like St. Paul, who is this educated Pharisee, um, who was converted to Christ. We have somebody who's a fisherman like Paul or uh, Peter. Uh, we have saints who were murderers and actors and uh, physicians and um, uh, bread merchants uh, from all walks of life. And what did we all have in common? What do all of us have in common who call ourselves Christians in the Orthodox Church? We have Christ as Lord and we have received the Holy Spirit. And they are the ones who have making good on, made good on that and uh, lived a life in dedication to Christ and in the Holy Spirit, struggling to stay uh, aware of the, the Holy Spirit in, in, in their lives, uh, staying close to Christ. And there's nothing that prevents any of us from doing that aside from our unwillingness to truly commit into repent and to call on God's grace and realize St. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. St. Peter, uh, you know, he had his kind of uh, eagerness that, that might have pulled him in different directions without thinking first about them, right? So this is why uh, we alluded to it in, in the script for the podcast, but St. Paul, after he gives this, in the letter to the Galatians, he gives this sort of biographical account he then goes on to talk about how he upbraided Peter in front of the assembly because he was sort of, with the Gentiles, he was sort of doing Gentile things, and with the Jews, he was he was being more of a Jew. And this boiled down to a particular set of circumstances and customs, in particular circumcision, but then also keeping other aspects of the law. And in the Holy Spirit and in humbling themselves, while also being honest and truthful with one another, these uh, these discrepancies and differences were either shed or um, or melded together into an into uh, a revelation, not a dialectic. Now I don't want to get into technical terms, but our, our faith isn't dialectical, meaning you take one proposition and another and then work them out into something new. It's not that. It's the Holy Spirit in synergy with those of us who are willing to, on one hand, confess the truth, and on the other hand, confess our shortcomings and sins and short-sightedness and being open to the activity of God in our lives. And we really see that at work in the persons of Peter and Paul, in particular, uh, in the book of Acts, because they're being faced with some realities that go against everything that they would have thought uh, was true. St. Peter has this vision of a sheet coming down with all these unclean animals in it, and it says, take and eat. And this is this becomes a sign to him that he is to go to the Gentiles and to to, to bring them into the fold. And St. Paul was going to, to try to wipe out as many Christians as he could, and Christ himself appears to him and, and makes him his own disciple. And so when we, when we open ourselves up to confession in this way, I mean, certainly we can mean that in a sacramental way, but when we're honest with ourselves about who God is to the extent that we've learned about him and who we are to the extent we've been humble and learned about ourselves, um, God, God will do great things in our lives. That's beautiful, Father. Thank you. I don't know if I can follow that up with anything. <laughs> I'm but... sure you can, Father. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I just have to say that, um, you know, the last six weeks, 
doing this podcast. I think it's been a real blessing. I hope that um, I hope that our listeners feel the same way. I know that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about this. Thank God. And um, you know, we'll see what the future holds as far as this sort of new little uh, ministry tool uh, goes with it. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, when we have these epistles, all these epistles, these letters from St. Paul and, and, and a couple of from St. Peter and, you know, they were employing the technology of their day to spread, to communicate to the Christian communities and to spread the gospel. Um, you know, so we, we have to try to do the same and try to be prudent about it. Well, to our faithful and to our listeners, um, we thank you for joining us on this six-week journey um, through the band of holy apostles, culminating on this feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Um, and uh, tomorrow, the uh, 30th of June, we celebrate the Synaxis, the gathering um, in honor of all the, the holy 12 apostles. And uh, in closing, Father, I thought that I would uh, read a couple of hymns from the service. In the Matin service, the Orthros, uh, which always has thematic content for the day or for the feast at hand, we have two types of hymns that help teach us about the feast. And uh, one is called the Kontakion, and the other is called the Ikos. And they are, in, in current practice, they are read together. And I want to read them. One of them uh, is a prayer to Christ um, that um, deals specifically with uh, Saints Peter and Paul and alludes to them. Uh, but then the other, Father, I think is applicable to you and me, especially as clergymen, but I think our listeners um, will appreciate it as well as regards their own walk of faith and calling in Christ. The Contakion. You have taken to yourself, O Lord, the pinnacles of your disciples, those unerring theologians and preachers, to enjoy your blessings and repose. For you accepted their labors and their death as being higher than any whole burnt offering, for only you know what is in the heart. The Ecos. Expand my tongue, O Savior, widen my mouth, and filling it, prick my heart, so that I may follow what I say and what I impart accomplish first. For great is he, it says, who puts to practice what he preaches. Yet if I say, but do not do, I am rendered but a symbol peal. Hence, grant me say the necessary and practice what is excellent, for only you know what is in the heart. Amen. To this body, to know, and to